Hello everyone, this is Mark again with Speak Brave Podcast. Welcome to our special show. Today we record on Black Friday 2019, November 29th. This is the day post Thanksgiving. Hopefully you had a great meal with your loved ones, your family, and being grateful for everything that you have. Today I have a special guest and he is a Benjamin Vickers. He is Lakeland native. He's also a founder of Honeycomb Bread Bakers and a new friend and he has a remarkable story to share. Welcome Benjamin. Thank you. So happy to be here. Happy that you could have made it. So Benjamin, tell us a little bit about yourself and part of what makes you you. As you alluded to, I was born and raised in Lakeland um, as a 90s kid when Lakeland um, was a lot different than it was today. I think I was part of a movement of, you know, high school kids that grew up and they had a little bit of Lakeland hate. They wanted to move away and see the big city and just like kind of grow and find adventure outside of their hometown. Um, and so I moved away thinking sayonara, that would be the best or the last time that I would ever see Lakeland. Um, and having one day after my whole kind of culinary journey, um, with formal training and working in New York city and, uh, upstate New York, Tennessee, all of that, I happened to come down, uh, to Lakeland just to visit my parents and saw how much it had transformed over the past, you know, seven, eight years. And I would say I was pretty profoundly surprised in the best way Lakeland had become, a interesting place, um, a place where it was, uh, I guess, beautiful, vibrant, and a great place to raise a family and a great place to start a business. And right. so that's how I made my way back here. Excellent. We will get to Lakeland uh, because this is where we are. Mm. We're recording Lakeland. We're recording at a co-working space called Catapult. So there's a promotion for Catapult. <laughs> I w- I'm interested to find out how did you choose your calling? Mm-hmm. What was that compelling voice that asked you to do what you do? You said you, you got formal training mm-hmm. in culinary school. Could you tell us more about it and what have you seen? My original career path was going to be in English literature. Um, I was studying in uh, Tallahassee where I was doing a lot of creative writing, um, studying classical and modern American literature, um, a lot of the American poets, and I thought I was going to do writing and maybe just be a bookish kind of dusty academic um, and, you know, teach the next generation of of writers and, and thinkers. Um, during this whole time in college, I was having a kind of side hobby of baking just for myself. Um, you know, as I don't know if you have an insatiable sweet tooth like I do, but I <laughs> loved having sweets like cookies and cakes and, and candy, um, but didn't necessarily have uh, the budget to just go out and eat all the time. And so I started making it for fun at home. Mm-hmm. And that hobby started taking over more and more of my life until finally one day I had to say, all right, I guess this is my life now. Um And the things that I love about baking kind of fit pretty well with my personality. Um, Baking is a highly 
technique-based, um, kind of technical, precision-based uh, career. Um, and I, I just really loved kind of the alchemy of it, where you can take these these different ingredients, and when you really think about it, almost all of pastry is made of the same kind of four core ingredients, egg, sugar, butter, flour. Um, and it's really how you combine these same ingredients that gives you the difference between a muffin or a cookie or a cake and a muffin. Right. Um, and so I, I kind of loved that alchemy aspect. Um, I kind of woke up one day and was like, Mom, Dad, I'm going to culinary school. Say goodbye. I'm headed to New York. Um, and... Like, thankfully, they were extremely supportive. They were just like, whatever you do, just give it your all, do your best, and we're behind you. Um, so, and so what was it like uh, coming to New York? Was it New York City, Manhattan? Um, I did some studying in New York, like an externship or an internship, basically. Um, but the actual college, the Culinary Institute of America, is about two hours north in the Hudson Valley, uh, Poughkeepsie. Mm, okay. So you graduated from culinary school, mm -hmm. right? And then, then what happened? Um, I took different jobs. Um, I think uh, even after a pretty rigorous two-year culinary education, you're still only at, I mean, maybe you're past your apprenticeship level, but even then you're still journeyman, not necessarily a master. Um, exactly. A journey person. Right. And so the focus of my career was to expose myself to a lot of different ways of thinking, a lot of different artistic styles. Mm -hmm. Um, because as a pastry chef, you're a sculptor as much as you're a chemist, as much as you're a kind of culinary biologist. Um, I would just want everyone to take that in. Right? <laughs> so as a pastry chef, you are a sculptor, mm -hmm. a chemist, and an artist, right? Exactly. Um, and I mean, even we haven't even gotten out of pastry into bread baking, but there's quite a lot of, of microbiology that goes into that as well. I mean, not as much as if you were like a research scientist, of course, but still the the understandings that you have to have of the microscopic world can be more than I think a lot of people realize. I want to ask you a question. So, what interesting you said, the four major ingredients, right? Sugar, mm -hmm. butter, fat of some sort, usually um, butter, uh, eggs, eggs and, and flour. And flour. So, combination of those ingredients plus the te temperature of the mm -hmm. oven, right? And that's also creates a... The temperature of the oven, but I would say more so than that, um, the technique and, and the order of which you combine those ingredients. Um, so I, I mean, maybe a good illustration of this is a, the reason why a pound cake is called a pound cake is because it has a pound of each of those ingredients, a pound of eggs, a pound of butter, um, a pound of sugar, a pound of flour. Okay. It gives you a, an extremely structurally sound cake. You get a cake, but it's maybe not the most, uh, maybe not the most moist cake, not the most tender cake, yeah. but you get there. Mm -hmm. Um, if I were to increase the sugar, increase the butter, maybe decrease the eggs, um, then I will still get a cake, but I, th 
through, I guess, the chemical understanding of those ingredients. I can either get a much more tender cake um, if I add, um, if I decrease the eggs a lot, then I can get a cookie. Um, if I add a little bit of um, liquid, such as buttermilk or sour cream, then I can get a muffin. Um, so it's basically those same things, but when you understand the, uh, I guess, the characteristics of each ingredient, you can use that to formulate your own kind of desired outcome so it's the sequence right it's a sequence mm -hmm. and also understanding your craft so well right right your components the craft um benjamin as, as you sharing this with me you know you are a successful uh business owner founder of honeycomb <laughs> uh, bread bakers and we'll 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 make sure we answer that a little bit further in the interview what i want to ask you is can you share with us some of those uh, frustrations failures, some of those things that you thought to yourself, you know what, what in the heck did I get myself <laughs> into? Why am I doing this? Well, some of the things that you can honestly talk that you thought, hmm, this, this is more than I ex expected. Oh, absolutely. Um, going more into bread rather than pastry, one of the one of the things that I love about bread, but also one of the most frustrating things is because we're, uh, one of our ingredients are the living ecosystem of the kind of bacteria and yeast and, and fungi and all of that. Um, we have to build a partnership with those microorganisms to help us ferment bread. Um, but in doing so, we introduce a an element of unpredictability mm -hmm. um and uh a almost like an element of chaos into the formula that we're trying so carefully to um produce and that means that based on your environment and maybe factors that you can't foresee or that you are so subtle that you can't even detect them based on the, that environment, you can do the same formulation the same way every single time, and maybe on the 10th time you get a different catastrophic result. Very frustrating. <laughs> catastrophic, you mean, um, like, can you be more specific? Um, I mean, I'm trying to think of situations that we've actually been in um, where we, for some reason, one day the bread just doesn't rise, or it might be rising at a pace that is so slow that we miss our deadline. Um, or we, it, it might look perfect and when we cut into it, it's hollow in the center or whatever. Um, it might have the wrong flavor profile. Mm -hmm. It might, for whatever reason, it might go stale after only a day, which is pretty catastrophic because then you can't actually use the bread. Um, and again, we might be following the same technique, the same formulation every time, but every once in a while, you know, the fates just have a different plan for us. <laughs> the fates of bread. Exactly, making, yeah. Right? <laughs> so this is very interesting. Um, one of the things I, as I was thinking about the sequence, the, the character, the attributes of the ingredients, can you talk about... Um, how those lessons of bread making, bread artistry translate to life, like uh, the way that you 
handle life situations mm-hmm. and the way that you handle your business, perhaps? Um, a bread baker, I will say an experienced bread baker will most likely have a high degree of patience mm-hmm. and will have a high degree of stoicism, meaning that when I think a stoic person comes across conflict, they will be able to move forward without being rattled. Um, They'll be able to make a decision um, not so much based on a reactive emotion. Um, Yeah, I would would definitely say (laughs) patience and stoicism. So, so could you tell us more what stoicism is, in your opinion? Um, and why did you bring that word up? Yeah, I mean, the sto- I mean, it's not. It's probably a little different than the classical Stoic philosophy um, in my own mind. But I think of stoicism as um, a an attempt to deal with the conflict in life. Um, I guess rationally. And uh, just kind of accepting that these things do happen mm-hmm. and you just take the good and bad and make the best of it. Right. right. And we do that a lot with every single day in the bake shop. In your bake shop. Yeah. Um, Benjamin, I have attended several events mm-hmm. where you were a featured speaker, panelist, Aye. and also um, exhibitor at, at one of the uh, showcases. One of the interesting things you have said when you were interviewed by one of the other Catapult member uh, staff, you said that you entered Catapult, right, as part of the incubation, and then your words uh, took over the kitchen, mm-hmm. right? And very interesting, you said that bread rises and <laughs> takes over everything. Mm-hmm. That, I, th- I thought that was a very clever metaphor, right, for, for the work that you do. Can you comment on that? Yeah, um, that is that is the nature of bread, and I think perhaps the nature of bakers. Um, we rise, and part of that is perhaps just a healthy business, a healthy brand. Um, it wants to grow, it wants to flourish, and it perhaps. Um, if you like that metaphor, here's another metaphor. Yes, I, I, uh, I like good ones. <laughs> The, when I try to explain the difference between pastry baking and bread baking, um, pastry is like carpentry, where we have these raw materials, and through our technique and through our design, we can uh, kind of build a desired outcome from those raw materials. Mm-hmm. Bread baking is more like gardening, where we have a environment, um, we have, again, our raw materials, but we are our job as a baker is to kind of cultivate the materials or the ingredients to grow on their own in their own way and we have these moments of um i guess we intercept at small moments to just guide the garden to grow by itself um and that's kind of that nature of unpredictability and and the living spirit of bread making um the nature of that is that we have to have let it have its own life just like a business um i don't think of the business as a carpentry project um i think of it as a garden Mm. and so i 
do my best to cultivate it in a way that I think is um, wise, like in a, I guess just like uh, like financially conservative. Um, I try to cultivate it in a way that is ethical and generous to my employees. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very interested to hear that uh, about your business journey, mm. right? Is this your first business where you fully it is. own your own? Yeah. So this is your very first one. Yep, right? it's an experiment almost. <laughs> it's an experiment. So would you uh, share with us some of the things that are built in mm-hmm. like those core values that you stand behind and you that you own mm-hmm. and i think it will be helpful for our listeners yeah um this this will probably be something that again people that are familiar with honeycomb or familiar with the brand um have heard me talk about but f- before honeycomb was established um i knew that I wanted a set of core values that would be our guiding light and build kind of a culture um, of Honeycomb. And the, I guess maybe the, a large part of the um, impetus for doing it this way is at the time that I was thinking about going independent and really starting Honeycomb, mm-hmm. um, there was another company um is it okay to just like name names? Okay. So Uber was in the news a lot for a very toxic culture um, where the employees felt kind of abused and taken advantage of. And um, it was clearly a situation where the leadership was um, either not thinking about culture or they were actively promoting a toxic culture um, or just something was not working. And one of the kind of takeaways that I took from that kind of incident being in the news a lot is that from the very beginning, almost built into the foundation, um, built into the woodwork, you need a set of core values that set the pace and set the culture from the very beginning and because it's not it's that's the way to do it as opposed to trying after the fact to say okay we're all going to be nice to each other now um, after it's already become a problem can you talk about um, some of the stories or perhaps some of the points some of the core values yes yeah um, so we have four generosity honesty humility and grace Why, why those four um, it didn't actually start out with those four. Um, there was a little bit of a journey getting there. Um, I don't know why I wanted four. I don't think that was something in particular. But I wanted uh, something that was distilled down into a very clear message. Um, and then just something that I felt like uh, values that I would care about for the rest of my life. Because um, there's some things that... I think originally, like, I was thinking about um, design aesthetic or, you know, things that were kind of small design decisions that weren't necessarily uh, crystallized enough to be on the core value list. Um, And so those got cut um, and then we're left with these four.
bakers, their products are less necessary to survive. Okay. There go. When somebody is baking and sharing that pie at Thanksgiving and that special Christmas cookie, they're doing it purely as a message from the heart. There's no, like, baking is so difficult, it's not like something that you can do willy-nilly. The reason why people bake is because they want to share a piece of their heart with you. Generosity came right from the beginning then. You know, um, in Catapult, where we're both members, um, there's a hallway. Mm-hmm. I think it's a hallway of pride, right? You know, like all the infamy. Infamy, <laughs> right? And there's little profiles enclosed um, picture, l- few questions, mm-hmm. and a little write-up about your business. And I read yours. Oh. I did. And those core values caught my attention. And one of them is generosity. Mm-hmm. And what I thought initially, when I because I didn't know you, I didn't hear your story at depth that we are doing right now, I felt that generosity is the generosity of ingredients. Mm-hmm. That you, <laughs> right? There's, for example, you go to the store and you buy something off the shelf. Uh, I don't know how much they put all these good ingredients. So my understanding was, my own understanding, mm-hmm. but you explained it something else. Yeah, I mean, it it can trickle down to that because, like, because I want to have this expression of my heart and share that with my friends and my family and our guests at Honeycomb, um, that does translate to our chocolate chip cookie recipe has almost as much chocolate chips as it does flour. It's a lot of chocolate chips. It does translate to that. Um, it translates down to, again, with the chocolate chip cookie, like we're not using like regular Ghirardelli or Hershey's chocolate chips. We get in single origin organic chocolate from like specific places in South America where one, it's like an ethical farming process because I don't know if, how much you want to go down this rabbit hole, but a lot of the mainstream chocolate that is grown and harvested in Africa is extremely unethically produced. A lot of like child labor, a lot of um, farmers that work their whole lives for pennies. Um, and so we've selected very specific chocolates that are ethical and one of the best quality chocolates on the market. So it trickles down to a lot of different, I guess, interpretations of the word generosity, which is why I like having such kind of a pure message because like it, like a, it, it's crystallized in a way that depending on how you look at it, mm-hmm. the light can reflect, reflect in different ways. Absolutely. And thank you for bringing this up. So we have honesty, generosity. I'm interested in the word humility. Why is that important? That was one that came along a little later on. Um, again, because I was thinking hard about the culture that I wanted in the future um, among myself and employees. And it also comes kind of hand in hand with grace because I think that a lot of the core values there it's you never see one by itself they usually come in hand in hand or in pairs or you're using multiple at the same time Mm -hmm. um so humility and grace came along as a idea of how i wanted to treat my staff um how i wanted my staff to treat the guests and how i wanted the um hopefully the guests to be inspired to treat 
their community. Um, it's it's kind of aspirational, I would say, um, because yeah, I don't I don't know how much. Well, humility is not something that we use a lot in business. Mm-hmm. It is something that it's either easy to sweep under the rug and say, oh, humility, <laughs> is that just another buzzword? Or what is this person really saying? Mm-hmm. So I want to hear from you, what did you mean by humility? Because I feel that humility is a lot of times it's either glanced over or discounted mm-hmm. or not even used you know, in the proper context. So that's why I'm really curious about that word. It means a lot to me. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to hear what you meant by it. So... That's music to my ears. Um, when I can give you kind of a, a crayon drawing of what I mean, and then maybe it might be I can I can talk about how we've used it um, in practice. Um, when I say what I hope for us. Um, as we apply for or as we apply the value of humility is that we build a business model that is not us versus them mentality Um, it I think we try to apply it as a very collaborative business model Um, also in I guess from a financial point of view, um, we try to, one, I have a pay structure that I try, uh, I guess that's more of a generous thing. Um, let me think. We have a few things. One, we Try not to be boastful. That's an obvious one. Um, two, we have a collaborative business model. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Um, we a few different ways. One, our wholesale uh, kind of side of the business is specifically set up that when we help our wholesale clients thrive, um, that comes back to us in. Uh, our wholesale the the guests that eat at our wholesale clients come are introduced to honeycomb through them and then come to us and also when we are able to provide our clients guests with excellent experiences excellent products that comes to us um, again in increased orders and referrals to new wholesale clients so it's kind of a tide that rises all ships kind of mentality Um, on the retail side we have a budget set aside each month um, for like specifically charitable giving. Mm-hmm. Um, as I'm, I hope that one day we will get to the point where we have leftovers. Mm-hmm. Um, we are still selling out a lot, but whenever there are leftovers, um, we take a lot of joy in um, donating them all. Uh, the Dream Center in Lakeland has been a great partner in that regard. Um, and also like some of the retail partnerships that we have, um, we collaborate with 27 paper goods in our store. We're like 
I guess, roommates in that Studebaker building. Um, and we're just always looking for ways to, uh, I guess, be good neighbors with the other businesses in downtown and in Lakeland because we, I, I look at how much Lakeland has changed um, and the reasons why I moved back to Lakeland after being away for like eight years. And there's obviously still a lot of work and a lot of, you know, future to be built. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though our potential is like so great, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's just going to happen by itself. And so I definitely view my position as leader of Honeycomb, as just a business leader, one of many, as somebody who can actively participate in brick by brick building that bright future for Lakeland. In this community, right? Exactly. That we're going to ripple out mm-hmm. and, and create this cascade effect of more uh, high caliber businesses and community members. I think it's very welcoming, mm-hmm. I feel. Right? Yeah, community. absolutely. Um, yeah, there's definitely, I don't know whether it's just times changing or or just new people getting into business or just the the market itself changing like the environment or it's definitely places like catapult opening um but collectively people in lakeland the business leaders and aspiring entrepreneurs they have a very collaborative spirit i would say and i feel it i feel it Mm -hmm. i'm part of it and i'm new to this area i've been doing a lot of business in orlando Mm -hmm. in tampa so this is my new neighborhood for me which i love Mm. which I love. Uh, Benjamin, would you talk to us about your future for your business and Mm -hmm. the way you see it um, evolve? Mm -hmm. Um, From a, I guess, nuts and bolts point of view, um, we have some short-term goals, such as uh, our wholesale network is growing very quickly. And in order to meet that demand um we are investing in better equipment bigger space um more employees Mm -hmm. um and most importantly a delivery and logistics mechanism um like a vehicle with a designated delivery person to go and kind of meet again meet that demand because the places are becoming far afield out in winter haven out in brandon Brandon, um, mm-hmm. wow! Congratulations. Yeah. I mean, it's the yeah, it's it's growing. The message is is traveling absolutely, um, and there's always that. The reason why I, I wonder if kind of the collaborative shift is generational is because um, there is these. Uh, I guess I would call it old school style of restaurant tourism, mm-hmm. um, where. You are, and there's absolutely a market for this, and there's a, I'm not naysaying it at all, I'm just saying it's different, um, but there's a specific type of food business where they are looking for the cheapest ingredients, the cheapest menu price, just, they're looking to cut as much as they can, mm-hmm. um, and I mean, that's important because people don't, have the money and they shouldn't be expected to have the money to you know drop fifty dollars on a lunch every single day right um so again absolutely not naysaying that 
but then there's also a lot of people who are like let's invest in the experience let's mm-hmm. invest in the best ingredients let's invest in the best experience um and so that is kind of a market that is for new um it's growing quickly and that's kind of the the people that we serve um and so the more uh places like cobbin pen like red door like nutwood um, lakeland. in lakeland like concord like hillcrest um like us at honeycomb the more people there are that share that kind of investment mentality that it's worth it to try and do the very best for our guests um that's going to grow our wholesale network right. more and more i think it's exciting absolutely it's very exciting i'm excited just you shared some ideas with me that while i had them in a in an unorganized way you have helped me to see it more mm. clearly because you are a local expert i think about it a lot <laughs> you're, you're a local expert and that's what i'm mm-hmm. interviewing you to make sure that i understand this ecosystem mm-hmm. and i understand that how i can serve as well yeah i mean i saw something interesting on the lakeland food group um that was a i don't remember this is a paraphrase but somebody was asking why locally owned and operated like mom and pop restaurants um, and food businesses tend to have an inconsistency problem, which is the constant bugaboo. It's the boogeyman for every mom and pop place. The thing that they worry about all the time is inconsistency. And I thought it was kind of brilliant how they posed the question as what can we do as guests and customers to help people be more consistent? Um, and as a restaurateur, the, the Facebook group is for, for, uh, people who are food enthusiasts. It's not really supposed to be for, uh, business owners. Mm -hmm. And so I usually try not to, unless people have a specific question, like how do I make this type of thing? I don't mind sharing recipes and, and talking about that. But, um, most of the time I try to just observe and get the temperature of of the scene you know um but there yeah i thought it was really interesting and and kind of beautiful the way that they phrased like how can we help these mom and pop places so how can we help i would say when customers are more consistent the business becomes more consistent and what i mean by that is go to places regularly Mm -hmm. (laughs) like it's um it's it's not, i don't know if it sounds a little harsh but have consistent expectations and go to a place consistently okay. um food again kind of like where i was talking about in the case of a baker um you're kind of sharing a piece of your heart it's not it's not there's no reason why somebody needs their cup of coffee and pastry before work to to survive Uh, you might think you need it to survive but trust me medically you really don't um and so when people come in first of all we're honored that they would come in at all um but second we are trying to build a relationship with them and if somebody comes in inconsistently or if they um have a different expectation one day versus the other or if um like if they call in sometime to 
like reserve an order and then they don't come in or whatever, like it makes it hard to build a relationship. And um, I mean, yeah, we're, we're like super understanding. It's not like we're resentful if a pie doesn't get picked up for a pre-order because like, trust me, there's a lot of different people that love that pie. We, we only had two that weren't picked up um, and they got donated and the people that received them are very happy. So like, so there's this, um, you have an expectation of this implied social contract with your community, right? With your guests and clients that there's a lot of trust. Yeah. I don't know if I would say it's a social contract because there's not a rigid, there's the expectation is not rigid. All I want people to feel when they come into our environment or really any environment is an open heartedness that, um, I feel like a lot of places have become kind of transactional and they, the guest thinks of it as like, I give you money, you give me food. And that's kind of the long and the short of it. Um, I think that that mentality contributes to a lot of struggle with consistency, um, makes, makes the employees lives a little bit dimmer. Um, and so I would definitely say an open heartedness, not so much a social contract. Got it. This is very interesting. (laughs) Thank you, Benjamin, for sharing part of your story. Uh, we're coming to a conclusion (laughs) of this interview. Thank you for sharing this information. Would you tell us what is the best way to support your business, your team, and your future investment in this community? Mm -hmm. And where can people find you? Uh, People can find us online. Our uh, website and social media handle is all Honeycomb Bread. So honeycombbread.com, Honeycomb Bread on Facebook and Instagram. Um, The best way to support us is just kind of loving food in general. If you go out to eat, you're probably having our products on on their menu through our wholesale network. It would be also awesome if you would come in um, on a weekday morning or on a weekend uh, to just hang out in the garden, have a cup of coffee or a tea. Um, again, the <laughs> the community garden is another great example of like the collaborative spirit because it really took a village to get Honeycomb built. It took everybody I knew, and they were all really happy to kind of lend a hand and put their name on it. So, I yeah, love that. Just I love that. So what's the address? 213 East Bay Street. It's directly um, across from the No Bay Apartment Buildings downtown, kind of on the corner of Kentucky Avenue and Bay Street. That's in Lakeland, Florida. Lakeland, Florida. So this podcast is listened internationally. Oh, wow. So people come to Central Florida, they come see Mickey and uh, Sea World, and then they come (laughs) see us. (laughs) Exactly. At uh, Lakeland. Benjamin, thank you so much for sharing part of your thought process and your uh, business philosophy um, I am honored that you have uh, shared so openly. Oh, thank you and so much. Perhaps you can come back. Uh, we can do a follow-up interview in the six months or one, uh, one year later and just share with everyone where you are, what you learned, and your future. Yeah, absolutely. I'd be honored. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, everyone. I hope you share this episode with everyone you love and care and make sure you find your courage so you can speak brave. Thanks, everyone. See you next time.